0: Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 20 of Quick Cuts, a plastic surgery podcast. On today's episode, we discuss abdominoplasty, so let's get started. And we'll start with a review of abdominal wall anatomy. The layers of the abdominal wall, from superficial to deep, include the skin, a superficial fat layer, scarpus fascia, a subscarpal deep fat layer, the deep muscular fascia, and the four paired muscles of the abdominal wall. These muscles include the rectus abdominis, external oblique, internal oblique, and transversus abdominis muscles. The aponeuroses of the oblique and transversus abdominis muscles surround the rectus abdominis muscles and form the anterior and posterior rectus sheaths. Blood supply to the abdominal wall is derived from multiple systems. These include the deep superior and inferior epigastric vessels, the deep and superficial circumflex iliac vessels, as well as intercostal, subcostal, and lumbar vessels. Sensory innervation to the abdominal wall is derived from anterior and lateral cutaneous branches of intercostal nerves T7 through T12. These intercostal neurovascular bundles lie in a plane between the internal oblique and transversus abdominis muscles, which is the plane targeted with local anesthetic when performing a transversus abdominis plane block, otherwise referred to as a tap block. We'll talk next about the evaluation and management of the abdominoplasty patient. In taking a history, in addition to your general medical history, it's important to specifically assess for risk factors associated with venous thromboembolism, as abdominoplasty is associated with some of the highest risk for VTE among aesthetic procedures. You should ask the patient about any significant weight changes as well as their weight stability. Patients should ideally be weight stable near their goal weight for three to six months prior to surgery. In patients seeking abdominal contouring after massive weight loss, it's important to ask about the method of weight loss, as patients that undergo bariatric surgery can commonly experience nutritional deficiencies that affect wound healing. Patients should also be asked about prior abdominal surgeries, which may compromise blood supply to the abdomen, and smoking status, which may negatively impact wound healing. Female patients should be asked about prior pregnancy, which can contribute to abdominal wall laxity, and plans for future pregnancy, which can compromise abdominoplasty outcomes. On physical exam, you should assess for abdominal skin quality and laxity, as well as the presence of any prior surgical scars. You should assess for the presence and depth of abdominal fat, specifically attempting to differentiate between subcutaneous and intraabdominal fat. It's important to note that patients with significant amounts of intra-abdominal fat, also referred to as visceral fat, will often not be adequately addressed by abdominoplasty. These examinations of the skin and subcutaneous tissues should be performed in multiple positions, with the patient standing, seated, and supine. Your exam should also assess for separation of the rectus abdominis muscles in the midline, which we refer to as rectus diastasis you can assess for diastasis by having the patient lie supine and perform a straight leg raise. Your exam should similarly assess for the presence of abdominal hernias, which can often be repaired at the time of abdominoplasty. In regards to abdominoplasty technique, a variety of operative techniques have been described, and discussion of these techniques is beyond the scope of the podcast. The classic components of abdominoplasty include excision of skin and subcutaneous tissue, Elevation and mobilization of a superiorly based abdominal flap and placation of the anterior rectus sheath to correct diastasis. The existing umbilicus may be transposed through the superior flap, or neo umbilicoplasty, or the creation of a new umbilicus may be performed. Combining liposuction with abdominoplasty, referred to as lipoabdominoplasty, can also safely be performed within limits. Postoperative care of the abdominoplasty patient typically includes the use of an abdominal binder, early mobilization to prevent DVT, and the use of drains pending surgical technique and surgeon preference. In regards to complications, venous thromboembolism, as previously discussed, is a possible complication, and the use of chemoprophylaxis for prevention is often dependent on individualized risk stratification. The Caprini risk assessment model is probably the most widely used tool for stratifying risk, However, the optimal strategy for determining risk in these patients is still the subject of debate. Inadvertent peripheral nerve injury is also a possible complication of abdominoplasty. Injury to the lateral femoral cutaneous nerve is the most commonly reported and can produce paresthesias and burning pain in the anterolateral thigh, referred to as neuralgia paresthetica. Other more common complications of abdominoplasty include but are not limited to delayed wound healing saroma, and hematoma. And that ends our discussion on abdominoplasty. Hope everyone's enjoying the podcast. Feel free to subscribe so you don't miss new episodes. You can find my entire audio collection online along with other written resources at theplasticsfella.com. For questions, suggestions, or feedback about the podcast, you can reach me at jakemarksmd at gmail.com. Otherwise, you can find me on Instagram or Twitter at jakemarksmd. Thanks for listening. See you next time.